1: Welcome to This Song Is Yours, where a music podcast that chats to artists, musicians and creatives on their songwriting craft and upcoming projects. I'm your host Simon Fink and welcome to episode 303. Today in a very special episode we've collaborated with Canteen Australia to celebrate National Bandana Day and joining us is Youth Canteen Ambassador Chloe Karras. National Bandana Day is this Friday and such an incredibly special charity to support. Before we get to our conversation with Chloe, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app that you use for podcasting. Our guest today is Canteen Ambassador Chloe Karras. She's a fellow music journalist and a massive music fan. Having travelled across the globe to see Harry Styles perform more than 20 times, she's an avid listener of music and has written many think pieces about different aspects of the music industry. She's also a Youth Ambassador for Canteen Australia, which is a charity that helps support young people dealing with cancer. In support of National Bandana Day, we've got Chloe on the podcast today to talk about her story, the effects of cancer and how it impacted her family after losing her father. We talk about how Canteen made a difference in her life, why National Bandana Day is such an important charity to support and the support services that it actually helps fund. We'll also talk to her about her interest in music journalism and her love of one Mr. Harold Stiles. We've left links within today's show notes on where you can donate and help support National Bandana Day and Canteen. And we also want to say a massive thank you to Maddie from Good PR for her help with today's episode. Here is our conversation with Chloe Karras. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Chloe Karras. Hello, Chloe. How are you going?
2: Good, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today and this week where we're um, celebrating National Bandana Day.
2: Yes, um, it's really good to have National Bandana Day every year. Um, it's really great to see all the new designs that comes through every year, so I'm really looking forward to it.
1: It is a very exciting um, Day of the year, and also such a good cause to celebrate at any point of the year. Um, And that's why we're here to talk today. I'm very excited to get to chat with you. I know that um, you've had quite a bit of experience in the music industry. I think that you are, like me, a fellow music journalist. Yes. I know that, where was it? I think I read um, you've had some experience at the Mushroom Group, which is really exciting, and at Mixed Down Magazine. I'm wanting to, I guess, begin our chat with, like, what is it that originally drew you to uh, music journalism?
2: Um, I think just really I grew up just being involved in music. My mum and dad just loved music. Um, they would always, like, none of us were really, like, musicians. Um, my brothers did get into guitar, but, yeah, we just grew up listening to music. And so when I was trying to work out You know, you're doing journalism, you're trying to work out what field to go into. Um, I kind of felt like music was just my drawing point. It's something I'm really interested in. I'm just kind of natural at talking about it. It's what I always talk about amongst my friends. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when I was doing just heaps of experience um, around uh, just doing volunteering work and um, any, what's it called? Internships? Yeah, when I was doing internships, um, I was just doing heaps and came across Mixdown Magazine and just fell in love with it. I was really natural at doing it. It wasn't a lot of thinking involved really because um, I did heaps of other work, other places, and I was, like, stressed the entire time. But when it came to writing about music, I was like, oh, this is easy. I know what I'm doing here.
1: <laughs> of course. I know. Um, I think there's some brilliant editorial pieces on your own website as well. I think there was a really great piece about the the beginnings of, of vinyl records and then the resurgence in the last few years. I thought that was a great piece. There was one on Prince as well. Um, for you, where do you, some of these ideas kind of come from when you sit down to think about writing about like music editorial pieces or opinion pieces?
2: It's just really, I have a look at what's going on around the industry. Um, at that point, uh, when I was writing the vinyl piece, Um, you know, that's when vinyl was really blowing up again and that's basically because of, like, COVID and everyone's just going back to, you know, what to do and, you know, you had heaps of artists releasing tons of vinyl um, and, like, different variants. So, you know, I was, like, looking into that and I had a couple of, like, I think it was, I can't remember which website, but, you know, they kind of had the whole, um, you know, you could see... The increase in vinyl and how I think at that year it had it was more of an increase compared to CDs. Um, and it was the first time in can't remember how long now, but I did write it in the like in that story that I did. And yeah, like um, you know, I was just kind of you know do research into it, see what's happening in the industry. Um, and I think the Prince one came along about I think it was about. He's it was around the time I think Taylor Swift were having like a s- similar struggle with her music. Um, mm. and then and I did a piece on that actually. And someone who I was working with he suggested, like, oh, you know, Prince went through a similar struggle, which I was aware of because my mum was a huge Prince fan. Um, mm. so yeah, I got to really dive into that a bit more. And you know, it's just kind of like working out what's happening now in the industry and also looking back you know what's happened in the past and how history almost like repeating itself
1: of course is there um I guess actually are you a vinyl collector yourself
2: yeah definitely um very bad habit
1: <laughs> <laughs> very um yes, it's... very expensive habit but it's it's such a nice thing to as you can see on the wall behind me it's such a nice thing to kind of have how many um if you were to give us a rough ballpark figure how many vinyls do you think you might have
2: um probably over 300 I would say um it's,
1: it's solid numbers we're talking
2: yeah I um I did used to work I used to press vinyl records and at that place you know I could take some home that I had like a couple of little issues that we weren't able to sell so I got to pick up a lot from there but Mm -hmm. I've also, yeah, had to purchase heaps and some I've gotten for my mum and dad as well that, you know, were passed down to me or just some I kind of like took out of their collection to be like, no, I want this one to be mine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, That means you'd probably have some very rare or like, as you've said, like things that couldn't necessarily be sold but it might be like a very unique kind of piece or um, record. So I absolutely love that. Uh, Very quickly touching on the journalism side again, is there – an artist, or a group or someone that you would love to kind of sit down or chat with or talk to?
2: Um, there's so many. Um, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint one. Um, but, you know, I am a massive Taylor Swift fan. That's why I did that piece. Um, and, you know, I'd love to just sit down and chat with her and talk about, her having to re-record everything again and, like, what it's like to have basically her music stolen and having to go back and record everything, try and make it identical as possible so people are likely to listen to the new versions that she owns. Um, And also just, like, how much bigger she's become in, like, over the last, like, two years or a couple of years. Um, you know, I felt like everyone 10 years ago who knew who Taylor Swift was, but I feel like now, like every single person (laughs) would know who she is. And it's like, you know, what goes through an artist's mind when they're that big? Um, I'd love to, yeah, probably sit down and chat with her, but yeah, I could probably, you know, there's heaps of people I could really list.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, look, that's very fair enough. I think some of those points that you just raised in relation to Taylor, I think would be fascinating in terms of, yeah, recreating, the same sounds or having to get as close Mm. as you can 10 years on or whatever it may be, Um, one artist that I thought that you might have picked and it was only because I was maybe given some information was um, young Mr Harold Styles as well because I know that you're a big uh, Harry fan.
2: Yes, definitely. I was going to list him as well. He was definitely (laughs) going to be one. Um, Yeah, he would definitely be another one for sure.
1: Uh, I know that um, you... Recently, I think, oh, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, went to Europe and saw him a handful of times, a few times?
2: Yeah, uh, this year and last year I travelled uh, to go see him. Um, so last year I went across UK and Europe and saw him nine times last year. Um, it was supposed to be Damn. ten, but one did get <laughs> cancelled on the night. Um, and then, yeah, then this year I saw him three times in Australia because I didn't have... The money at the t- at that point and I think like two weeks after I saw him here I'm like I have to go back to see him so made a quick <laughs> trip back over to the UK and saw him I think it was six times
1: <laughs> Chloe that is incredible that is I'm honestly speechless at that that's um that is dedication to the the highest degree um well I know that obviously Harry's music does speak to a lot of people we um Oh, when uh, I think last month, very recently, we had Mitch Rowland on this podcast, who's the guitarist for his band and wrote um, Watermelon Sugar with him. And he um, just had a very lot of kind things to say about Harry and his songwriting as well. So I know that his songwriting does connect with quite a lot of fans.
2: Yes, definitely. I've um, basically grown up with him and his music. I was a massive massive One Direction fan. So Mm -hmm. I've been following him yeah since you know 2010 2011 um and yeah so when he went off and did his solo stuff it was just natural of me to follow um thankfully his music is really good and that just makes it so much easier (laughs) um but yeah like i think he's such a great artist um you know i think everything i've heard about him like i don't think anyone's really said anything bad about him so i think he's such such a great role model um (laughs) And yeah, like his shows are just really one of a kind. I haven't ever, you know, I've seen him now I think 20 times now um mm-hmm. since he started touring himself and I haven't gone bored of these shows ever. Um and I've made so many friends around the world. You know, I've got friends in Paris and in London and in America, like I just have friends everywhere just because of him and I've got to travel the world because of him, which is something I never thought I could do. Um Especially, you know, after COVID, <laughs> I never thought once, um, yeah, I could be able to travel the world. And the fact that I did it because of him, you know, it's really amazing.
1: I absolutely love that. Well, I think it's um, it's terribly cliche, but it is the power of music that seems to allow us to have these connections and, and as you said, friendships, relationships with people. So it's it's lovely to hear that he's had that um, impact on you. I would like to talk about, and, and obviously why we're here today, is that you are one of the Youth Canteen Ambassadors for Canteen, which is a incredible charity within Australia for young people dealing with cancer and the effects of cancer. Um, I know that around that time that you mentioned, around I think 10 years ago or so, you were going through a bit of a difficult time yourself. If it's okay, um, would you be able to, I guess, give us a little bit of an insight of what was going on at that time and, um, and maybe how music helped you at that time
2: yeah so so sorry my dog is just walking everywhere <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a very cute dog
2: is. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit of a distraction though when I'm trying to talk and she's just <laughs> in the background um but yeah so yeah 10 years ago in well really it started back in 2009 um my dad was first diagnosed with cancer but I was nine years old, so I didn't quite understand the whole concept of cancer. I was really young. You know, my mum and dad didn't hide it from me. They were explaining everything to me, but I just didn't quite understand it then. So I felt like at that point, you know, I wouldn't, even though I did go through a bit of a struggle, but my dad didn't look like a cancer patient. He didn't lo- lose his hair. He didn't look sick. Um, from my point of view anyway, maybe other people might say something different, but um, But, yeah, like he just didn't look sick at all back when he was first diagnosed. I wasn't fully affected with his cancer diagnosis. Um, Even though he's had such a rare case of cancer, for him being the age that he was, I can't remember how old he was at that point. Um, But I think the cancer he's had was people generally between 65 to 70 are diagnosed with that cancer, at that point in time anyway. I don't know the statistics now. Um, but, yeah, and then less than 1% of people under 50 are diagnosed. And I would say he was probably in his early 40s at that point. Um, and, yeah, you, typically they had just no cure. And they were just testing a couple and one happened to work. Um, and that, he had treatment for about 12 months and then things moved on. Um and, yeah, so not much changed for me then. I wasn't fully affected. Um, and, yeah, and at that point I had a different support group uh, because I was, yeah, nine years old. And, yeah, then things got upside, like, my whole world got up, like turned upside down in March 2013. Um, funnily enough, my mum kind of realised he may have been... Um, you know, he may have cancer again, directly after a concert that we um, came back home to. Um, we had just seen Kiss the Mottler so That was my first concert. You know, we went as a family. My granddad was there as well. Um, and, yeah, it was, like, throughout the night he had these signs, like, I think throughout that trip, because we flew down to Melbourne for that, because at that point we lived in Darwin. And around that time he was having, like, all these symptoms that were similar to when he first had cancer. Um, things that my mum would have picked up, I think it was like a lot of like night sweats and everything else. So, yeah, they when we went back up to Darwin again, that he went and got tested and did everything else, and yeah, found out he had a second round of cancer. Um, and this one was basically survival just wasn't possible. Um, and all they could really do was just test out basically just use him as like i don't know a tester and try all these different tests on their man chemos just, just to see what they can do um we didn't have really much hope and yeah he you know he did about
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: I tried a few different chemos, I think two or three. Um, And one of the chemos did work a little bit. I think one of them kind of made him survive a little bit longer. Um, But it wasn't doing anything. And yeah, he just... Um, We were just kind of told, I still remember, so yeah, he was diagnosed in March and about mid-September I was told, um, yeah, he had about a month left to live and yeah, they were right because just after like mid-October, so his 10-year death anniversary just came up a couple of days ago um, and yeah, it was, you know, my whole family struggled throughout, you know, that short period. It wasn't long. Um, you know, I was in, I was 13 at the time. I was almost 14 when he passed. Um, and I'm 23 now, almost 24. And yeah, like not something I ever imagined I would have gone through, you know, at 13 years old. Um, you know, I always imagined at that age I'd be losing like grandparents first. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be losing like one of my parents, you know, that's something I imagined to be happening when I was a lot older. Um, not at 13 when I'm, you know, still doing school and, you know, I haven't had any major life things happen at that age. Um, so it was really tough.
1: Firstly, I can only imagine how difficult it would have been. So firstly, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Um, I think that's part of why we wanted to do this episode today is because of the work that Canteen does for people in those situations. I, similar to yourself, lost a parent when I was a young adult. I was 24, so a little bit older um, to cancer. But um, as you just said, at 13, you're t- still you're still working out exactly kind of who you are. Um, and there's a lot going on with that. Do you remember i guess your first interactions with canteen and the kind of support that they were able to offer around that time
2: yeah so i think canteen came in i believe they spoke to my mum first because i was 13 at the time one of my so i've got two older brothers and one was 21 and one was about 18 i think he just turned 18 that year um so we're all within the age group to you know access canteen and their services and yeah my mom kind of just spoke to me um I believe the canteen reached out to her um and yeah my brothers weren't interested but with me being 13 you know I didn't really have a huge support system I did have great friends but none of them knew exactly what was going on and they didn't quite understand fully, neither did I really. So I can't expect help from these, like help from my friends when I don't even know what's going on. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that happened, I think, just before my dad passed away. I can't remember um, when exactly, but I do know he was still alive um, when I was accessing and like talking to Canteen and, um, and it was first just I was just chatting to someone, having a bit of counselling, um, didn't quite understand counselling. Um, you know, for me it, at that point, you know, being 13, it was just a way to get out of, like, a class. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if I didn't want to do English, I'd purposely, you know, ask if I could go see someone and speak to them during that lesson. <laughs> um <laughs> But, yeah, it was kind of nice to, at that point, speak to someone who could ask me the right questions and not that I remember any of the questions now, but to, just to get me talking about it. Um, and I think, you know, I look back at it now and I realise how helpful that was being 13 and having that little support network. Um, again, being from on canteen, wasn't very big then so there wasn't a huge amount of programs that could happen because the community up there was just so small um but you know i was trying to access a couple of programs i was very shy so it was very hard for me to go out to any mm-hmm. um i did I only went out to a handful because yeah i was way too shy but i was always accessing their counseling services that was the one thing that even now 10 years later i still reach out to um which I think is
1: just such an incredible thing to have. 100%. I think that the work that they've continued to offer to, to not just um, young people, young adults who are dealing with cancer for themselves, but as we've discussed, the families that are affected as well, I think is just an incredible service of what they do. Um, what was the conversation or, or when was the point that you realised you wanted to play a more... Active part in in canteen, I guess, in terms of like becoming a youth ambassador.
2: Um, it did take me a couple of years to get to that point. Um, I had just moved down to Melbourne. I think I was in Melbourne for maybe a year, and like once a year, canteen would do a call out in um, all different states and territories to see if you want to join the leadership group. And when I read the email, so I think that was. In twenty late 2018, I would have read the email to then join in 2019. So I would have been, I would have just turned 19 at that point. Um, and yeah, kind of just you know, I read the email and I realised all the points you know, kind of of them wanting someone to be a leader and all the points you know, ways it could help. I felt like I was in that right position to finally help out and give back to Canteen after you know all the support they'd given me. In those last few years, I felt like I was at that point that I could really step up and just find ways to um, be a leader and to help out other young people in a similar position to me. Um, and, yeah, so I was, I'm was i still a leader now, obviously. Um, I've been a leader for, what did I say, June 2019, so four years now I've been a leader and... I think about in 2020, I became a youth ambassador, um, again, was sent out an email and I read that and I was like, yep, that's something I really want to do, I really want to, you know, put my voice out there and really talk about how Canton has helped and just to spread awareness, um, you know, just anyone who could be listening to this or in anything else that I do or other young people who are youth ambassadors can do. Um, you know, it's just someone who's in that position or something quite similar and dealing with cancer in their life or had just dealt with cancer in their life and they're just struggling to just, you know, reach out to canteen. Because um, a lot of people I felt like don't really know about canteen. Even now I'll talk to people and, you know, tell them what, you know, how, I'll, yeah, I'll talk to people and discuss um about canteen and because I'm always doing something with them and so many people just don't know who they are or what they are. Um, so it's really good to do stuff like this and to be a youth ambassador to just put the word out there that, you know, I hope at least one person, because of me, reaches out to canteen and gets that support.
1: I, I can only imagine the kind of things that you must see and talk to about people, as you said, and so I think that the work that you're doing, Chloe, is incredible. Um, so I want to say very much, and and this is not the end of the interview, but I just want to say thank you very much for coming on, um, to the podcast today because we do appreciate it. Um, it is National Bandana Day later this week. Are you able just to offer up any insight to those people that might be listening, um, why it is so important to be able to help support Canteen with things like National Bandana Day?
2: Yeah, like... You know, me and other young people, we get to access those counselling sessions for free, um, which is such an incredible thing considering how much counselling is. Um, it's so good just to be able to access that for free. When you know, especially when you're going through, like living through cancer, um, whether it's yourself, your parents, or your siblings, like it's such a financial struggle for the family and you know, the last thing you think about is, you know, wanting to pay um, someone money to chat to them because you just really can't afford it during that. So it's so good to have Canton around for that, like, you know, for that reason and just to speak to someone and, you know, all the donations help provide those free counselling sessions for all these young people. And also, like, besides that, like, You know, you get to join these programs, whether they're overnight camping programs or just a day program. And with those, you get to just meet other, you know, young people who's been in a similar position. And it's such a unique experience because you join these groups or these programs and you kind of just know these people you're talking to. You just know that you just connect with them. Like you don't even have to talk about your cancer experience at all but you are fully aware that if you need to talk to them, you know they'll understand it. And that's something you don't get with anyone you meet. You know, at your workplace or at school, you don't get that experience. And it's so good just, yeah, when you connect with these people, you've got, you know, this friendship instantly and you just always have these extra people to talk to. Um, and it's such, you know, you kind of, when you go through these experiences, it changes everyone as a person and... You know, your regular friends who may never, you know, may never experience that at that point or any point in their life, mm. um, they're just never going to understand it. And having people there that gets it, um, you know, they just get it. And, yeah, they, you know, having those programs there for these young people, it's so incredible. And there's programs for, um, you know, those who... Um, uh, dealing with cancer at the moment, going through chemo, you know that's a such a you know i can't imagine what that is like, and you've got those people who can catch up and you know they have that bonding experience with each other um and get to share all these things that, you know that they may be going through um and you're just all these you know you know having bandana down a day, it really Um, puts the awareness out there about canteen and everything that they can do and everything that they do do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, yeah, you know, really all those funds um, helps just ensure that, you know, no young person can, you know, can experience cancer alone. They're always going to have someone there because of canteen.
1: 100%. Um, We're going to make sure that... Anyone who's listening to this episode, um, links on where they can donate to Canteen will be in the show notes of the podcast as well as links for National Bandana Day where they can buy bandanas and um, donate to that as well. Um, Chloe, we would usually ask our guests what they're currently listening to. This episode is going to be no different. Uh, is there anything at the moment that is on high rotation for yourself?
2: Oh, I've been listening to so much um, at the moment um, and I'm definitely a repetitive listener. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, at the moment, back to Taylor Swift because she's releasing um, 1989 Taylor's version this Friday. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of giving the original stolen version a listen um, a couple of times before. I basically don't listen to it ever again once mm-hmm. her version comes <laughs> out. So I've been doing that. Um, I've also had um, Harry's second album on rotation at the moment. Um you know, that album was such a huge help during COVID because that came out late 2019. Um, yeah. And it's also the album that's made him really big because of Watermelon Sugar. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so I've had that album of rotation. Even um, his ex-bandmate, Noah Horan, he's released an album a couple months ago. I've still been listening to that non-stop, so that's the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and funnily enough, I think last week I was really into listening to the Grease, like the movie Grease, their soundtrack. Nice, classic. Um, Yes, I had that on rotation. So a very, yeah, weird and interesting mix. Um, But, yeah, I'm, yeah, definitely a repetitive listener and can listen just to an album nonstop and then pick a new album, become obsessed with that for a couple of weeks and then move on.
1: I absolutely love that. Well, I think that's a nice way to do it. You can kind of immerse yourself in the album and then decide whether you want to continue to live in that world or put it back on the shelf and, and try something different. So I very much respect that listening, um, that way of listening.
2: <laughs> yes, it's a good way to go.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Chloe, just a massive thank you for coming onto to the podcast today and sharing your story and helping support Canteen and National Bandana Day. I do very much appreciate it. As I said, we'll have links in the show notes where people can donate to canteen but thank you again
2: no problem thank you so much and it's been such a pleasure to be able to talk about canteen and spread awareness for this amazing charity that continues to still help me you know 10 years on